Hey friends, I'm Christine Chappell, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with Ellen Mary Dykus about her book, Toxic Relationships, Taking Refuge in Christ. For more help on the topics we discussed today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Ellen Mary Dykus is the Women's Ministry Coordinator at Harvest USA and the author of Sexual Sanity for Women, as well as several mini books. Hey there, Ellen. Thank you so much for joining us for the show today. Hi, Christine. I am really excited about having this conversation with you and um, just celebrating with you the launch of your new 31-day devotional with PNR Publishing on the topic of toxic relationships. And so before we get started in our conversation today, would you share with us about why you wanted to write a devotional on this topic? Sure. Uh, I would say there's there's two reasons. One, just my own personal story of struggles in this area. And then my, my ministry in particular, the last uh, 14 years. So, you know, in my own, my own journey, Christine, I would say as a young adult, I kept experiencing this pattern in certain relationships, actually mainly discipleship type relationships where I would just become so attached to a person. And in particularly, I was very needy of their, of their need of me. And I began to see that even in entering into these kinds of relationships with good intentions, like to disciple other women in Christ, there was something about their neediness that fed something in me that wasn't healthy or holy. So that began my own journey of, um, healing, transformation, repentance, when it comes to that form of toxicity. Mm-hmm. And then the last 14 years, I've been uh, serving as women's ministry coordinator for Harvest USA, uh, a ministry focused on really applying the gospel in the midst of sexual sin. And so I've seen the dynamic of just messy relationship dynamics come up so much in the midst of a wide variety of situations with women. And, you know, honestly, I think sometimes the idea of this type of toxicity of codependency, emotional dependency, uh, it's usually only talked about in the context of things like alcoholism or chemical addictions, rather than looking at how this can rise up really in the context of any type of relationship. So I know we'll get more into the details of some of this, um, but those are the reasons that really fueled me to write on this because I don't, I haven't seen it written on that much or even taught on that much. Can you help us to lay out a biblical framework for what a toxic relationship is, what, what qualifies as one, and maybe just share some of the the signs or the symptoms or evidences of, of what that looks like? Yeah. Well, first, you know, the toxic means poisoned or polluted in some way. And relationships could be polluted in a, in a variety of ways. Um, I'm zeroing in in this devotional, Toxic Relationships Taking Refuge in Christ. One form of how we do that, when we take refuge in people or a relationship dynamic rather than 
in Christ. And so for those that are committed to having Christ be central in, in all things, supreme, and having the first place, as Colossians 1 talks about, the idea of toxic relationships would be when any kind of relationship slowly displaces the lordship of Christ in, in a relationship, effectively sidelining him so that a person or the dynamic we have with a person uh, becomes our focus of where we are seeking worth, value, identity, even a sense of obedience. Like I must obey my desires in this relationship. I must obey whatever this person is saying rather than, rather than Christ. So, you know, Christine, one, one easy way to kind of locate this scripturally is it's a form of idolatry. Um, and God, you know, God's made it clear that we are to have no other gods in our lives. And that would include even the sweetest realms of where we can be in relationship with people. So in light of that, um, that kind of leads me just to, you know, I'll share a few thoughts about what might be signs or symptoms of this kind of a messy or unhealthy, unholy relationship. You know, one would be, there's just a sense of being controlled by this person's need for you or being controlled by your need for them to take care of you. And that's often a dynamic, um, a needy to be needed and needy um, to be taken care of would be a dynamic in a lot of these kinds of relationships. So there's a sense of that control. Um, you know, I like how one counselor um, said that no person should have the power to make or break your day. So, of course, close relationships are going to have an ex a, a powerful influence. But when a person's love or lack of love, attention or lack of attention sends us to the greatest places of happiness or sends us down into the deepest places of despair, that's probably a diagnostic of maybe we've given this person too much control. A couple of other here, a couple of other uh, symptoms would be um, a compulsion. Uh, I, I might even say an anxious addiction to being in consistent or constant contact with this person. Uh, nervous when you don't know where they are. Uh, upset of when you don't know what they're doing. Um, demanding to you know, know what they're thinking and feeling. With a key, a key part of that description being an anxiety and a motive of the heart that is. If, if I'm not in control here by knowing what's going on, my life is starting to feel like it's crumbling apart. And then the, la the last thing I'll say would be a sense of territorialism, um, a, a real lack of freedom. So if another friend or a significant person enters the scene, um, the other person may feel very threatened and insecure. And so in that, you can see how these relationships really become um, imprisoning. They become consuming in a way that just isn't of the Lord. Yeah. I mean, even in your description just now, I was thinking of, you know, if you think about the term toxic relationship, you know, for some of us, our mind may go straight to an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I hear you saying is that abusive, you know, or oppressive relationships, you know, there certainly are toxic, but it doesn't, it needn't be maybe to mm. go to that extreme where there's abuse and oppression to still mm. qualify 
as something that is idolatrous or in in your phrasing a toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. And as I read your devotional, it became really clear to me that this problem may actually be a lot more prominent than what we might think. In fact, there may be people listening today who just heard your definition of what a toxic relationship is, and they may even feel like you just put your finger on the pulse of what is taking place in their own relational world. So why do you think we have such a hard time recognizing it for what it is? Yeah, that's a great, a great question, Christine. And, you know, yeah, I think we hear that word toxic and we think obviously utterly polluted and poisoned. And where, how I've found that I think sometimes these relationships are off the radar screen among believers, especially, is because we think, well, you know, if if I'm in a relationship with another believer, a a marriage, Mm -hmm. um, parenting, friendship, counseling, even a pastor congregant type of relationship, we think, but, you know, we're Christians, we're, we're talking about the Bible, and we're praying together, like, how could this be all wrong? Um, or, or I think especially in, in marriage dynamics, or well, I say marriage or parenting, we think, well, aren't husbands and wives supposed to be one in all things? Or a parent may think, a, a mom would say, but it's right for me to, to be consumed with my kids. Um, I mean, the Lord gave me these children. So the key, the key, I think, in, in why we might not diagnose them is we make wrong assumptions about what a Christ, what a Christian relationship is. It, uh, we don't always understand that Christ is meant to be central. The other aspect of why it might be hard to diagnose this is we, you know, we do want to love and we want to be in deep, emotionally connecting relationships. And that's a good thing. Those are, are beautiful aspects of who we are as image bearers. We, we've been designed by God for deep relationship where we love and are loved, where we know and are known. But I'll, I'll, I'll quote uh, a man that mentored me so much uh, through his classes and his writings, David Paulson. You know, he said, gifts make great gifts, but they make really lousy gods. And so, you know, the way I talk about this, Christine, with women, especially in my ministry at Harvest, is that husbands, friends, children, mentors, and pastors can be wonderful husbands, friends, children, mentors, and pastors, but they make lousy Jesus replacements. Hmm. And so it's that tension, I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but that, that need for us to be watching over how are we receiving, enjoying uh, this gift that God has given without displacing God in our lives? And you know, the, the last thing I'll say on this, Christine, is that so many of us never learned what healthy relationships are. You know, for those that might have grown up in a really emotionally detached home or even an abusive home, you kind of come across a relationship, uh, dating, romantic, marriage, mentoring relationship that is so emotionally connecting that even might start moving in unhealthy, unholy directions, but it feels like life. So there's that aspect too, that many of us have just never been discipled um, or taught what a Christ centricity in our relationships really, really looks like. So we, we need help. We need to help each other. 
Well, I think it was really helpful in the devotional that you put some flesh on this mm. particular topic by offering just really brief, almost like case studies you included throughout, just that kind of demonstrate what the dynamics of a toxic relationship might look like in real life situations. So before we continue on, I think maybe it would be helpful if you might share a few of those examples with us. Sure. Yeah. I I wanted to, yeah, as you said, to kind of make this land at street level. So I I look at several dynamics of two women who are friends, a married couple, a pastor, and a woman he's counseling in his church, and then parents with their adult daughter. And wanting to unpack in all of, in all of those how Christ becomes effectively displaced. Mm-hmm. So I'll I'll just share about the the story of Michael and Jackie, a, a married couple um, representing a husband wife relationship in which the husband you know, an overall good guy, Christian guy, but it really comes to the light that he depends on his wife, Jackie, to feel good about himself, to feel that he has any worth or value. And it takes time for him to realize that his, his initial responses to his wife who loves the Lord and and actually loves the Lord more than she loves him. Now that's, that might sound like a a wild thing to say, but she loves Michael with all her, with all her heart in a sense, but Christ is kind of enthroned in her heart as, as the Supreme Lord. And so Michael begins to see that there's a really deep fear in his heart of being unneeded, of being invisible. And as you know, you walk through the devotional, you see how he realizes that he has really looked to Jackie to be his savior um, to be the one that heals his heart of his insecurity and makes him feel okay about life. So, you know, with all the examples in the book, what I I want to bring out what it looks like for people to become ensnared in these kind of messy dynamics, um, hopefully in a way that will help the reader, especially those that might read this devotional looking to understand this issue from a counselor or help helping role is that people ensnared in these dynamics need a lot of encouragement, um, a lot of compassion, because these dynamics may just be, again, hard to diagnose, if you will. So the helper, as well as the person in the midst of them, needs to be willing to uh, say the hard things of calling sin, sin, including when uh, that worship of a person, if you will, when the idolatry of a person has become so evident or so controlling in any kind of relational dynamic. I love the first day of the devotional, Ellen, and I think it is helpful for us to talk about it for a few minutes because your words hit me right between Mm. the eyes. It's like they were arresting, I think is a good Mm. way to put it. And so first you quote Psalm 18, uh, verse one through two, which reads, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And then you say, quote, after being chased by enemies and betrayed by people he loved, David begins here. I love you, Lord. And then you say, that isn't always my go-to prayer when relational disappointments leave me feeling frustrated, left out, and hurt. And I saw those words, I love you, Lord. And I said, Ellen, 
I don't say that either. That is not my go-to <laughs> prayer when relational disappointments leave me feeling frustrated, left out, and hurt. But what beautiful words mm-hmm. they are. You see that, and I, my soul just said, I want to say that. Mm-hmm. You know, so, Lord, help me. I want that to be the first thing that comes to mind when I'm feeling pain or frustration mm-hmm. because of relational disappointment. So why is it then important for us to start our journey toward relational wholeness by mm. meditating on the mm. Lord as our love and our refuge. I so appreciate you bringing that out. And that actually encourages me that that was your response when you read it. Because honestly, I went back and forth on, it, is this how I should begin the devotional? Mm. And the more I thought about it, I thought, yes, because of this. Um, you know, I would suspect that many people are going to pick up this devotional after a season, maybe years of feeling bound up and just enslaved by these kind of dynamics, or they're, they're picking up this devotional because they, they are in a relationship right now that they know something is really off and they're looking for help. But here's how I, why I decided to start the devotional off that way. And actually the entire first seven days of the devotional is focused on looking at God as our true refuge. And I, I challenge the reader to not skip over this section and go to the sections of the devotional where I'm talking about diagnosing these kinds of relationships and practical steps out of these kinds of relationships. And the reason I do that, starting first by looking at God, is twofold. One, it, it's inviting the reader, in a sense, to an intentional fast from focusing on the problem from focusing on their sinful tendencies. I don't know who first said this, but I hear this quote often is that, you know, for every one gaze at sin, we need 10 gazes at Christ, mm-hmm. at the Lord's beauty, holiness, and love. And as I mentioned, I, I would suspect that many are going to, I hope, are going to pick up this devotional wanting a way out. And yet the way out needs to first begin by having the desires of our heart, the attention of our thoughts reoriented, re-inclined. As David said, Lord, incline my heart to my heart to you and your word. So I want to lead the reader into a fasting, if you will, a reorientation back to the Lord, our refuge, so that the the sin and the relationship uh, begins to take a little bit of a secondary place in the first days of this devotional while the Lord, our refuge, is becoming more and more the focus. I think that softens the heart and hopefully truly encourages and boldens a person of, okay, I can really address this courageously and humbly after taking some days of soaking in who the Lord is as our Lord. <laughs> and our our refuge. Now, Ellen, the pain that we've experienced as a result of a toxic relationship is something that needs healing. And while God is gracious to help us to move forward in the direction of relational health, the process is not only hard, but it can sometimes really hurt. Mm. Maybe that's because we're shifting through past hurts with this person, while even possibly continuing to experience present ones. And so I think that there's a temptation just to feel like this is going to be an endless 
hopeless cycle. So Mm -hmm. how do the scriptures encourage those of us who not only feel stuck in the cycle, but who also feel constantly wounded by the person that they love? Christine, that is a great and really a a powerful question. And I love the way that you, um, the way you put that of saying that God is gracious to help us and he moves us in the direction of relational health, which to me speaks of how, how scripture addresses this, is that this is a lifelong process of transformation. I, in the midst of my struggles in this area. And and I can really say by God's grace, um, the codependency, toxicity in this, in this fashion or this form, it isn't something that I'm enslaved to anymore. And I, I don't become ensnared by these dynamics that much anymore, but I can still stumble here and there. I can still look to a person in a, in a way that I really need to be looking to God. But through the mercy of our Savior, through the power of the Spirit, there has been a, a, a trajectory of growth, a trajectory of my desires changing, a, a trajectory of my repentance in this area. So I want to hold that out, um, especially for people that are listening right now that maybe are kind of hearing or seeing themselves in this conversation and just feeling overwhelmed. Um, so I want to just remind all of us that becoming like Christ is a lifelong process that we will be engaged in until we go home uh, to be in. But here, here's a few other thoughts that I would offer for people thinking about this ongoing process is, you know, something I found helpful is to remember that I can only take responsibility for my own obedience. And I, I need to watch, I need to trust God that he's going to be watching over all of the consequences, if you will, or the impact of my obedience. Because you're, you, what you said is right. Um, seeking to develop new relationship habits, especially with a current relationship, changing the dynamic for the sake of holiness, it will hurt. Mm-hmm. And it may not be met with somebody being on board with that. Um, somebody that, that you perhaps have been in this toxic, codependent swirl they may not want to let go of you. And that's what kind of kept me ensnared in some of these things years ago. So I needed to remember, Lord, you're calling me to obey you. And I'm going to trust that my obedience is going to ripple out in grace in all directions, including with this person. I need to entrust that person to you. So whether, you know, if, we, if somebody's feeling constantly hurt by someone else or when we're scared to do the right thing, because we're scared of the other person's response, we need to remember that Jesus will never, scriptures never ask us to compromise our holiness or our obedience or my dependence upon Jesus for the sake of making another person feel good. And, you know, we could go to a lot of different texts for that. I would just encourage um, people to soak in First John 5, in the first opening verses, like 1 to 3, 1 to 5, where <clears throat> John makes it pretty clear that if we want to know if we're loving the Lord, it's by obedience to His commands. And if we want to know if we're loving His children, it's through our obedience to His commands. And, you know, Christine, that doesn't sound very romantic or warm, fuzzy-ish, uh, but it is the path towards uh, relational health and, and healing. 
when our hearts are, are bruised and broken uh, because of these messy kind of relationships. Ellen, I know we talked a few moments ago and you used the term idolatry. And I think mm. it might be helpful at this point to maybe just unpack that a little bit more. I'm not sure if you have some more to say on it, but I would love for you to just maybe expand on what you, you use the term in the book or the devotional people idolatry. Mm -hmm. So what does people idolatry have to do with toxic relationships? Yeah. Well, um, yeah, on one of the days, I uh, actually devote a whole day of the devotion to this. I quote two scriptures, um, James 1, 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. But then also Exodus 23, where the Lord says, you shall have no other gods before me in our life. And people and our relationships with them can become a mini God. Um, and so the idea of people idolatry in one sense simply would be when we are displacing God with a person and or the dynamic we have with that person. And I, I like to add the idea of the, the relational dynamic, because sometimes it's not actually the person himself or herself, but it's what we both are feeding off on in the dynamic between us. So idolatry is worship of any created thing rather than our Lord. And so people idolatry would be when a person is becoming the focus of our universe, the focus of our worship, the, the focus of where we go to for identity, worth, and, and purpose. Mm. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for just expanding and mm -hmm. clar offering clarity for that. Now, mm -hmm. you also were talking about how if we find ourselves in a toxic relationship and we want to experience change, but perhaps the person on the other end, maybe they, they're not interested. Maybe they say, you know, that's too spiritual or that's not, that's not going to work or I've already tried or, you know, whatever number of excuses that um, somebody might make who just doesn't want to participate in trying to work toward relational health. So Ellen, I wonder if you might be able to offer us some wisdom for when we should consider putting space between us and relationships that we're having trouble with, or maybe even when may it be wise to consider even ending a relationship because of the toxic relational dynamics at work? Yeah, I so appreciate that we're, we're talking about this because I, I think not only are these messy kind of relationships not talked about a whole lot, but the idea of actually moving away from somebody when that, especially when that person is another believer or ending a relationship it's it can be really tricky to navigate. So again, I appreciate that you said that we need wisdom. So, so a, a few thoughts on this, um, you know, uh, one clear indicator is, is this relationship unsafe and abusive. And I appreciate that you've had a lot of guests on this podcast, like Darby Strickland, who are really speaking into domestic abuse and abuse in relationships um, so powerfully. Uh, I would also recommend um, Leslie Vernick's books on the emotionally destructive relationship in marriage. So if it is abusive, then that's definitely an indicator at least that it needs to be, there needs to be some significant space put between you and this person. 
other other aspects of this would be um, for marriage for relationships outside of marriage. Um, is the relationship becoming uh, too physically affectionate and perhaps sexual? Uh, I mean, it doesn't have to be a codependent to- toxic relationship for that to be happening, but a lot of a lot of relationships moving in this direction do start to cross lines um, physically, sexually, and when these are in same sex friendships, uh, that's going to be an indicator right off the bat that something is going off the rails here. Mm-hmm. Uh, another, another key diagnostic would be, is, is somebody, um, does somebody have just a consistent disregard for your boundaries? Uh, so you're seeking to be wise about how available you are, how accessible you are, how much energy you're investing in this person, but this person, other person, they, they refuse to comply to respect uh, maybe they even plead with you, try to manipulate you of no, like I need you in my life. You said you loved me. So we, we need wisdom uh, when people are deeply hurting and and perhaps spiritually immature, but it's actually not a sin or unloving for us to be guarding our heart and the other aspects of our life when someone is insistent on you know, we might say trying to bulldoze themselves into your life, or they are insistent on trying to pull you into all other aspects mm-hmm. of your life. Um, the two other two other thoughts on this. The next one would just be, you know, if you're if you're in a weak place yourself, um, emotionally, spiritually, even physically, and you know that you just aren't in a place to be able to really invest in. Um, like proactively seeking to change the dynamic with this person, um, then maybe taking a step back would be the most loving thing for you to do. We're not always so quick to acknowledge, you know what, I'm, I'm in a season of just weakness right now. Like I, I don't have it in me to invest in this relationship to the degree that I feel like I need to for it to become something that is more honoring to Christ. So I'm going to take just a step back to focus in on my relationship with Christ. Actually, I I have one other thing, and then I'll say my final one that relates to family relationships. You know, if you're in a in a counseling or helping type relationship, mentoring, discipleship, um, and I have one of these examples in in the book. Um, if if this relationship has become again all consuming. If boundaries are being crossed, if the relationship is actually starting to feel like a mini marriage of the, in the level of, of emotional intimacy, red lights are going off. Alarms are going off. You, you need to, to step back. Um, and then finally, Christine, this this is particularly, well, I don't know if I should say tricky, but in, in family relationships, uh, marriage relationships and parenting relationships, these these are going to be unique, uh, unique context for walking out the things we're talking about. You know, for example, if spouses have developed developed these kind of codependent patterns with each other or parents with their children, uh, unless there is abuse going on, we're not going to advocate for taking space in a sense or ending the relationships. But there are going to need to be steps taken and I, I walk through this in the book with the married couple and with parents with their adult daughter. 
what does that look like? Again, to have the focus of your heart and your intentions and your affections reoriented back to Christ. And here's the final thing I'll say with any of these, don't go alone. Don't do this alone. This is where the body of Christ comes in. Mature believers that can help you, encourage you, pray for you, hold you accountable to take the hard steps that God is calling you to take and uh, to just walk with you through this process. That's a lot, but hopefully in that people will find some, some practical, not only diagnostics, but initial steps you can take. Yeah, I'm thankful that you included that last point about inviting others into this situation, a counselor, a pastor, a mentor, because like you said, it is a lot. Well, we've got time for a couple more questions. So Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, you know, as you conclude the devotional, you write, quote, don't forget that your relational desires are meant to point you to Jesus. What Mm -hmm. do you mean by that? Yeah, well, I I quote C.S. Lewis in the devotional, one of my favorite quotes that he that he is referenced for a lot where he says if i find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that i was made for another world and christine we might we might look at our um, idea of relationships along the lines of what cs lewis is saying that if we're all really honest even our most uh, fulfilling, uh, closest relationships, they don't leave us 100%, 24-7 satisfied. No person has the ability to fill our heart, to satisfy our hearts. And there's a reason for that. We, we have been created for eternal, untainted, unpolluted, no toxicity at all, union and communion with Christ. Uh, We have a relational God who has created us not only for relationship with people, but with himself. So, you know, a spouse's love points us to our eternal bridegroom, Jesus, a a friend, a, a good friend, their companionship points us to the true friend, Jesus, who will never leave our side. You know, our desires for a mentor, counselor, disciple, or somebody that'll just put their arm around us and help figure out life. That person can give us wise advice, but they can only give us a taste of our wonderful counselor, you know, the always God who is shepherd and father. And so I just think, you know, as we understand these truths about God, people and our relationships with them will grow more and more to be in their proper place, if you will, a a gift to be enjoyed, to be sanctified by, uh, to love and serve, but but ultimately, even our relationships with people are meant to be a, a signpost, if you will, pointing towards Jesus, the one in whom we can have complete relational fulfillment and union with. And no person, no person on this on this earth can give us that. It's found only in Jesus, our our true refuge. That's so good, Ellen. Thank you for sharing that. I want to let people know who are listening that we could not 
There were so many questions I wanted to ask in this in this interview, and it's always hard to figure out which points to hit. And so you just do a really wonderful job in the devotional of going way more deeply even than what we were able to accomplish here in this conversation. And so uh, if you are interested in learning more about Ellen's new devotional, Toxic Relationships, um, I would encourage you to uh, scroll down to the show notes, click the link there, and that will take you to a page on IBCD's website where you can access that information. We're at the end of our time today. So I want to invite you to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening to this episode who is currently in a toxic relationship. They're discouraged, disappointed, and doubtful that the situation could ever improve. What would you say to encourage this person in Christ? Yeah, I, I love this invitation, and I and I would just say to to you, the listener, the Lord sees you. The Lord knows what you're facing. He's not stiff arming you or asking you to get your relationship world all cleaned up. No, He He wants you to come to Him as you are. And I, I start the devotion, uh, Christine, and I want to again invite the listener in Psalm 16, and I want to just read this and then just give a a, a sweet promise but also a sober exhortation. So David says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. And so Friend, I want to encourage you, the Lord is your refuge and he is your your good. And I know that right now that might not feel true, but it is true. That's a promise for you. The Lord is your refuge. And in even this one passage, there is the hope for rich relationships with others. Uh, David said that they that his delight even was in these relationships, but there's a there's a warning. And this is something I've needed to heed. And I also urge to you, it's worth it to walk in obedience because the promise is that if we keep ourselves in these idolatrous kinds of relationships, the promise, the sober promise is that our sorrows are going to multiply, but that's not what God has for you. God has refuge for you, change and freedom for you, and also heart healing for you. But it starts here, crying out to the Lord, your refuge and asking for help. Great points. Thank you so much, Ellen, for those encouraging words. If there is someone listening who wants to get connected with you and your ministry, where can they find you online? Yeah, uh, well, the ministry I serve with, Harvest USA, um, our website is just that, harvestusa.org. I'm on Facebook, Ellen Mary Dykus, and also Instagram. Ellen, Ellen Mary Dykus. Wonderful. Well, again, I can't uh, thank you enough for just taking the time to join us today to talk about this really important topic. And congratulations on the new book launching. And I hope um, I hope that the Lord blesses it richly. Mm, thank you, Christine. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new weekly episodes release. 
Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.